So how often do you hope that Jesus is not God? I know, we just confessed, and we will confess again. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is part of the Apostles' Creed. We hear it in our confessions. We hear it all throughout worship. We are Trinity Lutheran Church, which means we are Trinitarian. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus has to be God. So I'll ask you again, how often do you hope that Jesus is not God? We have this reading for this week. We're in the Gospel of Matthew. We're in the 17th chapter. Matthew takes this wonderful story, this important story. He's copying it from Mark. It's okay. Plagiarism rights weren't the same 2,000 years ago. Mark wrote the story first, but Matthew and Luke love it, and it's, it's a vital part of our faith. It's a part of how we understand who Jesus is, who God is, and we could even say who the Spirit is. So we have this really important story that actually is so important that we set aside the weekend right before Lent to hear this story every year, depending on which version we have. And by the way, I should tell you that when you begin to glaze over, when you start getting bored with this sermon, which is totally appropriate, and in fact, I expect it, when that happens, feel free to pretend that you're looking at me, but actually you can look at this piece of art behind me. This is Trinity's version of the Transfiguration. Jesus in the middle, Moses on the left, Elijah on the right, the three disciples are there, but we were just debating this morning. One of them is hiding behind the altar, but they're all there. So, you can watch that, and you can have a visual representation of the story. Matthew's version of the story begins six days later, which tells us something just happened six days ago, but we're not there yet. Six days later, Jesus gathers up Peter, James, and John, who apparently they are the elite force of the disciples. He takes them up to the top of a high mountain. One thing to know about Matthew, he loves the stories of Moses. So he loves to take the stories of Jesus and frame them around some stories that his people may know, stories about what, Jesus, what Moses does that Jesus also does, like, for instance, going up mountains. Jesus goes up mountains quite a bit in the Gospel of Matthew, like here. So we might start thinking to ourselves, if we have that story in the back of our mind, Moses went up a mountain. When Moses went up a mountain, not once, but multiple times, he went up there to receive commands from God. So maybe something's about to go down. They get up there, and immediately Jesus is transformed. He is transfigured, depending on the, the translation that is in your lap. And he begins to glow and radiate light. By the way, that happened to Moses, too, when he's encountered by God up at the top of Mount. But beyond that, Jesus is, is he's just glowing. He's this beautiful presence in the midst of the disciples, and he is giving off light. And, oh, by the way, in chapter 5, Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world, that we're not supposed to hide our light under a basket, but that we are supposed to be like a city on a hill, that we are shining forth so the whole world can see God's radiance. So now here's Jesus living out his own words. While he's up there, Moses and Elijah appear, just like in our art. Moses, who of course went up on the mountain, and Matthew loves him. And beyond that, we also have Elijah, who's this prominent prophet. Elijah is the one who takes God's word and confronts kings. He confronts the powers of this world. He gets into a lot of trouble. He's threatened multiple times. And the story of Elijah ends with him being swept up in a chariot, going up into heaven. There is some possibility, and the story plays out, that he may not have actually died. Moses and Elijah are sitting there, and they're chatting with Jesus, and Peter has the same reaction you and I might have when we're having a, a revelation with God. Peter said, let's build three shrines, three tabernacles, three shelters, 
three tents, three booths. Your translation probably says something different from your neighbors, but they're all the same. Matthew is telling us that Peter wants the same thing that you and I always want in a revelatory experience. We want object permanence. We want to put something in that spot so we can go back to it, so we can take our kids back to it, so we can take our congregation back to that moment, back to that spot, and say, here is where I was encountered by God. We love those moments in our lives. We love guideposts and places where we can go to reconnect with God. While Peter is saying this, a cloud begins to appear. Now, we may not have spent a single day in a church, and we could probably guess that something is happening with God. All throughout Hebrew Scripture, this is how God encounters God's people. God encounters the Israelites in the wilderness through a cloud. God encounters Moses on a mountain through a cloud. God encounters Job in the midst of all of his anger and bitterness and hopefulness as a cloud. God's encountering Jesus and Moses and Elijah and Peter and James and John and you and me in this story as a cloud. And God begins to speak. And God says, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Your translation may something, say something just a little bit different. But again, this is God affirming who Jesus is. Jesus is God's son, so Jesus is God. But then God adds a little extra to this particular statement and says, listen to him. And when God says, listen to him, as in listen to Jesus, it's remarkable how the disciples respond. Up to this point, they're hanging out with Jesus. They're kind of in awe. They're kind of mesmerized. This is a revelatory experience. But then God says, listen to him. And their reaction is they fall on their face, which often we see as a sign of worship. And Matthew says that they are filled with awe. And then Jesus touches them and says, don't be afraid. Filled with awe. I'm going to do the thing that I probably shouldn't do as a pastor. It's kind of obnoxious when pastors and professors do it, and I'm going to do it anyway. Filled with awe. The Greek behind that can also be translated filled with fear. In fact, in other points of the Gospel of Matthew, when that exact phrase shows up, and your translation might do this as well, it will say, filled with fear. In fact, multiple times when the crowds or the disciples or passers-by are amazed by something they see Jesus do, they are filled with fear, and then Jesus responds, don't be afraid. The disciples are terrified. Maybe rightly so, because now they know that they are in the presence of God, but they're also terrified because God just told them, listen to him. I know. You and I gather in spaces like this as often as we can, and we hear words about Jesus and hear words about God, and they move through us and we encounter them and, and they shape our thoughts and we reflect on them for a while, and then, we, and then we head on with our lives. We head back out through those doors, return to our work, we return to our cars, to our homes, to our family. We keep going. We hear the words of God, we know that they're coming for us, we know that they're meant to shape us in some way that we can't quite describe. But often, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, often when I encounter Jesus through Scripture, I don't feel terribly moved. I don't necessarily feel transformed. The disciples have been hanging out with Jesus for about 12 chapters. 
That's the adulthood that we've had of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew at this point. So they've been hanging out with him. They've seen him heal people and cast out demons. And he's confronted the powers of this world. And he's spoken harsh words and hard words and good words and compassionate words. He's brought peace. He's brought rejuvenation. He's brought life. All the Jesus things, he's done them. And the disciples have been following along the entire way. Just like you and I, we follow along. And we bear witness to all these things that Jesus does and says. Remember at the top of our reading, Matthew says, six days later. That, might, that implies something happened six days ago. And if we had our Bibles, I'd tell you, flip back or just look back about two paragraphs. And we would see that right before this moment up here on this mountain, this revelatory experience that we all get to share with Jesus, Jesus is hanging out, probably a campfire moment, hanging out with all the disciples this time. And he starts talking about how he's going to be arrested. And he's going to be persecuted. And he's going to be abused. He's going to be punished. And he's going to die. And then he turns to the disciples, turns to you and me. And he says, this will happen to you as well. Our call is to take up the cross. Your call is to follow God so completely the way that Jesus follows God so completely that we will surrender everything about our lives. We will surrender everything we love, everything we hold on to in this world. We will lose our lives for the sake of life in Christ. We can hear these words. We can read these words. We can open the book when we are at home and encounter these words and be encountered by God. And we can just as easily turn the page. And I wonder if that's what was happening with the disciples. They hear Jesus say these things. They're kind of struck by that. It's kind of an alarming thing to hear the guy that you've been following all this time who has all these incredible supernatural powers. This person is now telling them that he is going to die. And oh, by the way, you are called to die as well. And maybe they tried to move on. Maybe tr they tried to ignore that part. Maybe they tried to keep that page hidden from themselves. But here's God up on this mountain, affirming who Jesus is, declaring him a voice of God, the very presence of God, and then God says, listen to him. And by the way, it's not a suggestion. It is a command. Listen to him. When he says, take up the cross, our command from God is to take up the cross. Our command from God is to emulate what we see in Jesus. You and I are called to walk out through those doors and grant healing to the sick, grant peace to those who are living in injustice. We are called to speak a hard word to the powers of this world. We are called on to cast out demons. We are called on to surrender our lives for the sake of our neighbors, to love God so deeply, to follow Jesus so closely that we will lose everything so that our neighbors can know that God is near that God's kingdom is truly breaking into the world. It's no wonder the disciples are terrified. It's no wonder you and I, when we hear these words, when we let them settle into our hearts and into our minds, we begin to get a little anxious, maybe a little jittery, a little concerned that maybe God is serious about this one. God says to us, listen to him. Do as he says. Walk in his path. Be a reflection of Jesus who is God. 
The disciples probably see Jesus the way you and I see Jesus. He's a great healer. He's a great teacher. He's clearly charismatic because people are always following him around and touching his cloak and doing weird things like that. But now we're coming to find out that Jesus truly is God. And when Jesus speaks, when God speaks, we respond. The disciples are terrified because the words are now setting in. They realize what this call is. Jesus comes up to them and Jesus touches them. In the Gospel of Matthew, as we would imagine, a touch from Jesus is healing. Every other time that Jesus touches someone or is touched by someone, they are healed. Jesus is healing the disciples. Not healing them of their call, not alleviating the responsibility of the cross that we gladly give to Jesus, especially on Easter morning, but freeing them of their fear. He's healing them of their terror of the paralysis that comes within our lives when we recognize that this call from God is our call. Jesus frees them. Jesus heals them and says, do not be afraid. It's the same physical encounter that we have with Christ through this meal, the same physical encounter that we have with God through this water where we are alleviated of our old selves, we're alleviated of our burden of sin and the power of death itself. Jesus touches the disciples, touches you and me through these physical encounters and reminds us that there is nothing in this world that can stop God's word. There is nothing that can stop you and I from speaking God's word in this world. There is nothing of this world that can have claim over us because Christ has claimed you. You are free. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are redeemed and you have been transformed through the cross. There is nothing that can stop you. There is nothing that can stop Peter, James, and John from going down that mountain and proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now, to be fair, this is a bit of a spoiler alert for those of you who are going to continue reading on after you leave this space. The very first time that Peter, James, and John tried to live out this call from Jesus, they fail. Pretty badly, actually. But it's okay. Because they've been touched by Christ. They've been claimed by Christ. They've been redeemed by Christ. As you and I have been redeemed by Christ. You and I are loved so deeply and so completely. That when we leave this space, we return to our lives, we return to our homes, we return to our cars and our families and all that we hold dear. Christ goes with you. Christ goes with us and continue to point us to where we are needed, where God's word is needed, where God's peace is needed, where God's words of justice and compassion and mercy are needed out in this world. Jesus continues to touch us and point out to remind us again of how deeply God's love is required in this world and it comes through you. It comes through me. It comes through this space. Jesus reminds us again of all the words that we hold dear. Grace, forgiveness, redemption, new life. It's all ours. And it is a gift. A profound gift that you and I have a responsibility to give. Jesus telling the disciples, revealing in real time on the top of a mountain, that this light that we have been given, this light that Jesus shines, this light is meant for the whole world to bear witness to God's love. 
Amen.